Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. When Jesus becomes truly the name above all other names in your life, you'll bow down every area of your life unto him. Yeah. Think about all the areas of your life and ask yourself, is it bowed down before Jesus? <laughs> every area. He's not looking for your church attendance. He's not looking for just your tithe. He's saying, listen, man, in your marriage, are you bowed down to my authority or are you trying to take authority? Woman, in your parenting, are you bowed down to your own way of thinking or are you bowed down to my authority and what I say how a child should be raised? Every area, intimacy, education, work, everything needs to be bowed down to him. If every area is not bowed down, then it's not the name above every other name and your knee has not fully bowed. The problem that we have and that I have, and I'm, I'm going to put it on you guys because I know you, is that when we start to do what we're doing here, like, man, we're faithful and we're giving and we're going and we're singing and we're doing courses and we're doing all kinds of stuff, we begin to make ourselves think that we've truly bowed down every area. We are just a little bit more bowed down than the lifestyle that we left. When you're comparing yourself to people that haven't bowed down at all to him, we all look like we're face down on the ground. But when you're comparing it to what he's actually saying in the scripture, right? My name has to be above every other name and you have to bow down before me. It's different. Second Peter 1.11, Peter says, this is a disciple that became an apostle. He says, an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1, Paul says it like this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of our God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our hope. See, these men and women, when you read through the scriptures, they never just call him Savior. He's Lord and Savior. We have a bunch of Christians where Jesus is Savior. He saved me from alcohol and addiction and, and all these things, and he gave me life. I was going to go to hell, and he gave me heaven, but he's not really Lord. Like, I still do what I want to do, but I thank him. Hey, thank you for that. But I don't really need this. Right? Because that's Savior, and I'm down for that. You go up there and bleed for me. You take the punishment. It says Isaiah 53 that upon you was my chastisement. I'm down with that. All the sinning that I did, thank you for paying the price. But what do you, want me, what do you mean you want me to pray without ceasing? You want me to forgive people? 
You want me to love the unlovable. You want me to give into the kingdom. You want me to read and understand and pray for revelation. I'm not really good with that. So just be Savior, don't be Lord. Then you have not bowed down the knee unto the Lord. He's not Lord. And that's what he's looking for. We sing a song that says, um, you won't relent until you have it all. It's not just a song. What it's saying is he understands that when we come in, we don't understand lordship because nobody's been lord of our life but us for however long we've been alive, right? But what he's saying is I'm not going to relent. I'm going to keep swiping at your ankles and at your heels until you bow. There are people who want you to bow because they want authority in your life, but it's not the authority that a man takes over you. It's not the authority that a woman takes over you. It's not the authority that a parent tries to exercise on a child. It's Jesus, We should willingly surrender unto him because he's good, because he's loving, because he has our best interest in mind. Because no matter what he does, it's going to be better than what you were going to do. (laughs) These these apostles, you got to read it. He's my Lord and my Savior. He's the one that forgives me, but he also tells me what I did wrong. Bowing the knee is about making Jesus Lord, not just Savior. So listen, this, this Ethiopian eunuch, he gives his life to Jesus that we talked about, right? He says, hey, I believe. Then he jumps out of the chariot, and he, and he gets baptized. But this bowing of the knee, you don't read that in that story. But now, I hope as we're going through this this morning, you're starting to see that these things are what has to actually happen in somebody's life. That's why I said the, the stories that we read sometimes are just the surface level. You read like, hey, this is what happened. He was going down the road, and he met Philip, and then they had a conversation, and then he jumped out, he got saved, and got baptized. But it doesn't tell you this conversation had to be pretty deep. Are you going to make him Lord? I forgot who I was talking to this recently about, but I said, man, we're so scared to tell people the truth. We're so happy that you raised your hand and you gave your life to Jesus that we're like, we're not going to tell you anymore. What we should do is say, yes, but he's got to be Lord. <laughs> like he wants everything right now, not tomorrow. <laughs> like go home and throw everything away. Like go home and, and text all your friends that like everything has changed from this day forward. No matter how many times I stumble or, or trip up, I'm different. Don't ask me to do the same things that we were asking. But instead of telling people like, hey, he wants to be Lord, he wants it all. We're like, oh, they they gave their life. Let's leave him alone and see how it goes. (laughs) And it sounds crazy, but but I feel like God is, is in many ways giving me the boldness to share this with you guys because I was lucky that God told me to do those things when I got saved. Like literally, there are some people that need to be told, and I think most people need to be told because we're, we're keeping these things a secret, like what God really wants from you. But I got saved, and God said, go home, break the bong. Go home, get rid of all that porn you got in your house. Go home, call all your friends and tell them that life is about to be different, and do it right now. I literally had a tub, those giant tubs you buy that are the size of this speaker from, from uh, Walmart. I had a giant tub with years of sin and filth and all kinds of stuff. I called Mary. We were, we were dating. We weren't even engaged yet. I made her come over, and I went through the whole thing with her. Then I literally put it in a trash can and lit it on fire. But we're afraid to tell people that something has to give. He's got to be Lord. And then we wonder why, 10 years later, they're still struggling with the same things. It's not their fault. It's our fault for lying to them and telling them that you can have both. You cannot have both. He's either going to be Savior and Lord, or he's not going to be anything. 
we have to bow our whole life down unto him. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 says, Behold, one came to Jesus and said, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good but one, and that's God. If you want to enter into eternal life, keep the commandments. He said, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, you'll live, um, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I've kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when the young man heard this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I want you to make me good. I want you to tell me that I'm doing a good job of keeping the commandments. I want you to tell me that if I'm just a nice person, I do more good than bad, that everything's going to be good. And Jesus said, oh, but if you really want heaven, if you really want me, if, if I'm going to be named above every other name, you've got to go sell everything right now and follow me. And he went away and walked away. How come Jesus doesn't do it the way we do it? Hey, um, you've done enough, and next week I'll talk to you about doing a little bit more. Hey, if, you, if, you just, if you're just willing to hang out with us a little bit, and then a couple months from now I'm going to talk to you about, about getting high. Jesus is like, no, right now, like if you're really serious about me, go sell everything you have and come follow me. And your treasures now will be stored in heaven instead of here on this earth. And he wasn't willing to do it. Have you bowed the knee? Or one day will you be forced to bow it? <laughs> it's so much better to bow on your own. Lord, show me how to bow, because I never learned. Lord, show me how to surrender because I don't know how. I've had to keep from surrendering to take care of this family, to take care of myself. He says, listen, I understand that that's what it took to get here, but to get where we're going, you better learn to surrender. <laughs> you better learn to bow. We're so embarrassed. We're so ashamed. Trying to save face before people instead of trying to bow our face before God. There's something about the name Jesus. We don't just claim the name or bow the knee. We have to surrender everything. Okay? Last one. So number one, the name above every other name. Number two, every knee shall bow. And number three, every tongue shall confess. That came from verse 11. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. But it's not in the confession. It's in the consuming. It's not in the confession, it's in the consuming. This is Exodus chapter 24, verse 17. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. Deuteronomy 4, 24. The Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Deuteronomy 9, 3. Therefore understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He'll destroy them and bring them down before you, so you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said to you. He's a consuming fire in your life, and he's a consuming fire for everything that comes against you. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Yes, we have to bow our knee. Yes, we have to confess with our mouth. But the way you confess with your mouth should reflect 
being consumed by the love and passion and mercy that you've received from God. When you say the name Jesus, it should come with some fire. When you talk about the God who saved you, there should be some consumption. It should be this idea that I've been consumed by the love of God. If you talk to people about Jesus and it's like, oh, I go to church and yeah, you know, Jesus. No, that's not what, that's not what it's talking about. It's saying he is a consuming fire and as soon as you get close to him and your eyes are open and you reach out to embrace him, he consumes you and he consumes your life. Nobody has to ask you to go to church. Nobody has to ask you to give. Nobody has to ask you to read your word because you've been consumed by this love. Confessing it with your mouth and saying, I love Jesus and I believe Jesus is not the same thing. That's not what he wants. Wearing a t-shirt, wearing a cross, that's not what he wants. He wants you to be consumed because he is a consuming fire. It doesn't make you weird. It doesn't make you ostracized. It doesn't make you, uh, it makes you what you're meant to be. You can still like football. You can still like Pinterest. You can still go shopping. You can still have birthday parties for your kids. We're having one today. I got to be on time. Like, you, you still have all that opportunity, but you better be consumed by your love for God. Yes. How could you talk about this God if you really know him and not have it sound like it's real? You know when you talk to somebody that's in a relationship, you're like, hey, how's it going with your boyfriend? And like they tell you, and you're like, in your mind you're thinking, you don't even like him anymore. <laughs> Right? Yes. Like you, you, you talk to married people, hey, you guys want to go out or you guys want to do something? And, and in your mind, you're like, man, they're on the brink. <laughs> like the way they talk about each other, you can tell they don't love each other. What will people say about the way you talk about Jesus? Is it passion? Is it love? Is it better now than when it first started? Is it the best thing that ever happened to you? Because that's what he's saying is a confession is. It's not... Yes, I believe in him, and 10 years ago I gave my life, and it's just been the worst thing that ever happened to me, but I'm glad I'm going to heaven eventually. What are you talking about? (laughs) He's not saying I want you to, to regurgitate some words that I believe in Jesus Christ. He's saying the name above all names has come into my life. I have bowed my knee before him, and now I confess that I am more madly in love than I've ever been before. Not I raised my hand and the pastor said, please repeat after me. This is what you get in Romans chapter 8, and I want you to compare that to what we're talking about. This is the surface, but I want you to understand what we've been talking about is the depth. Romans 8, or excuse me, Romans 10, 8. What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So many of us stand on this. I remember it being one of the first scriptures that I memorized when I got saved. Right? All you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. That's true, but it's much deeper than three verses. When this eunuch believed in his heart and confessed with his mouth, it wasn't just, oh yeah, I think I feel something about Jesus, and I just want to say that I believe in Jesus, that he's the Son of God, and that that he died on the cross for me. Those words come out, but they come from a place of being consumed by the truth of it. Why this message and why this today is because 
you look at the gospel, you look at what happened with Jesus, you look at the crucifixion and Easter and all that kind of stuff, and then you look at what began to happen, and if we want to see it continue to happen, we need to understand what it means to confess that name. We need to understand what it means to bow the knee, and we need to understand what it means that his name is the name above every other name. Otherwise, all we're going to get is church attendees. All we're going to get is proclaimers of that name that don't really know Jesus. Belief and confession is much more than just words. You could pretty much get anybody to say something. But it doesn't mean that it's true in their life. It doesn't mean that it's real. It doesn't mean that it has changed the trajectory of everything that they do and everywhere that they were going. This is Acts chapter uh, 8, verse 35. Philip opened his mouth, beginning at that scripture, preached Jesus to this man. And they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. That's the story, but it's just the surface. That one little line where it says that Philip preached Jesus to him, I believe that uh, Philip really preached Jesus to him. I believe that Philip did it in a way that this man could see, this guy is consumed with this Jesus. This Jesus seems to be alive in this man. The first question that the eunuch asked Philip was, he was reading Isaiah and he says, is is the author talking about himself or some other man? He says, he's talking about some other man. He's talking about Jesus. He's the one, he's Emmanuel. He's God with us. His name is the name above every other name. He came down from heaven to save us from our sins. You know what, eunuch? You are a sinner. And no matter how many times you come to Jerusalem and no matter how much money you give, the only way for you to be saved is to put all of your faith in this Jesus. And it went on and on and on, I'm sure. So that this man could submit himself under the headship and authority of Jesus and ask him for forgiveness. You don't read all that in there. But you know where you read it? Right here and right there right there and right there. Like that's what has to happen every single time. You don't fall in love with the building. You don't fall in love with the church. You don't fall in love with the pastor. You don't fall in love with the music. You fall in love with Jesus. You are awakened to the truth and the reality that he is alive. That's the only way. A couple of weeks ago in our life groups, there was a question that said, what do we learn from what's not written here? That, I think that theme is going to go a long way for me, and hopefully it goes a long way for you. Like, what do we learn in what's not written about Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch? What do we learn that has to happen in every single life? So I want to close with this. I'm going to read some scriptures that talk about the name of Jesus. I'm just going to read through them. If you're taking notes, do your best to write them down. Um, something to think about when it comes to this name. And then I'm going to close with one last story that I think is... Uh, a reflection of everything we've talked about so far this morning. If you're ready, say amen. amen. John 10, 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. This is a family affair. Jesus' name, the Father's name, it's a big deal. John 20, 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, repent 
Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. As I'm going through these, please remember, they're not just saying, repent and repeat the name Jesus. They're really telling them about the name and the power and who he really is. It's not written here, but you know it's here. Acts 3, 6. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Acts 8, 12. When they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Acts 9, 27. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. This is Barnabas taking Paul before people really believed that he loved Jesus. It says, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Acts 9, 29, he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. There's one thing about the name of Jesus, it's going to come with persecution. If you're not being persecuted, there's no consuming fire and passionate proclamation of Jesus in your life. Because the world can't stand it. I wanted to preach this to you guys, and I didn't have time to do it, but read in the, in, the, in the scriptures, start with like Acts, how many times people would, would be beaten, imprisoned, uh, scourged because of the name of Jesus, even though they say they didn't do anything wrong. Like Jesus, when, when he got scourged by Pilate, you know what Pilate actually said? He said, I find nothing wrong with this man. And the next thing he said is, let's send him off to be scourged. Think about that for a second. That's like the court. You go to court and you get found not guilty and they say, but we're still going to imprison you for a year just because. You're still going to be beaten just because. You know why? Because there's something about the name Jesus where the enemy has to attack. The enemy has to cause damage and cause harm. You have to be persecuted. So they couldn't find anything wrong with them and they would still imprison them. They would still beat them. Acts 15, 26, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 16, 18, this she did for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. There was a demon-possessed woman, and she was falling around the apostles, and she was actually preaching the truth. These men are from God. They have the power of God. They love God. And there's a lot of us who do that. We go around saying all the stuff, but there's no real effect of it. Paul turned and said, shut up. And he told the demon that was inside of her, come out of her right now in the name of Jesus. He wasn't just saying a name. There was power behind that. I'm going to get myself in trouble. We think that if we just carry a cross and say Jesus, that's something good. And then the people who are really carrying the power of God are like, please shut up. Please, because there's actually something God sent me to do here, and I'm coming to do it. And when you think you're proclaiming the name, you're not. Don't let me get myself in trouble. Lord, protect me. I'm about to go on vacation. Y'all can't get to me anyway. <laughs> Acts 21, 13, Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. That's, that's being consumed. Acts 26, 9. Indeed, I myself, though I must do many things contrary, or I thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Paul's saying, listen, before I got saved, I was trying to do the opposite of, of what the name of Jesus has compelled me to do now. I thought I needed to. I thought it was the right thing to do. 
1 Corinthians 1, 2, the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Man, calling on the name. 1 Corinthians 1.10, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. We need the mind of Christ, calling upon the name of Christ. Almost done. 1 Corinthians 5.4, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.11, such were some of you. It gave this long list of a bunch of sinners. And he says, such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Ephesians 5.20. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This one gets me, right? Because everybody says, uh, in the name of Jesus. Or we say our prayers in the name of Jesus. We end a service, thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. If that's just words, we are missing it. It's supposed to come with all the rest of the stuff that we've been talking about. If your prayers are actually contrary to the word of God and you just tag on in the name of Jesus, you've blown it. God, give me a bunch of money. God, fix this other person that I'm close to. God, do all this kind of stuff in the name of Jesus. He's like, that's not what I do in my name. That's what you want. So just say in the name of Vaughn. <laughs> Because that's you asking for what you want. If you align your prayers with what I say, then you can say in the name of Jesus and then you can expect my father to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the father. 2 Thessalonians 1.12, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. That's a tough one, right? Oh, we don't want a man to speak into our life. They said, we command you in the name of Jesus. If you're hanging out with people that are killing you, stop. Oh, I need to hear that directly from God for myself. I'm just adding to it. Last one. 1 John 3.23, this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. There's something about the name of Jesus. So this is it. The last story. So those are a bunch of things that talk about his name, and it doesn't say much, but hopefully it means much to us now, or will continue to mean more to us in the future about this name that uh, we so easily speak. You know, they couldn't even say the name of God in the Old Testament. Like we read it and it says God, or we read it and it says Yahweh, right? They weren't even allowed to say the name because it had so much power. Think about a God that you can't say his name and you're not allowed to see him. And then think about how we treat his name now. Something about the name of Jesus. So this is the closing story about his name, Acts chapter 19. Says it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. Finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? 
So they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him whom would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So there's this shift. People are coming to John. He's saying, repent, you're a sinner. Somebody's going to come. And they said, yes, I am a sinner. I'll be baptized. Paul says, listen, the disciples should be teaching you here. It's not just about repentance. It's about life in the name of Jesus. And they said, oh, we couldn't wait to hear this. Let's get baptized in the name of Jesus with that power. Verse 6, when Paul laid hands on them, right, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all and he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the, concerning the things of the kingdom of God. So listen, the word has gone forth. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. People are spreading out. They're trying to tell people about Jesus. Paul comes into a city where they've apparently heard about Jesus and he says, what are you guys doing? I don't see power. I don't see life. I don't see love. What were you baptized into? They said John's baptism. Oh, that's just, that's just repentance and forgiveness of sin. You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. You need the Holy Spirit. You need love. You need to be consumed. And they say, bring it on. They get baptized. He places his hands on them, those who don't want to be discipled, don't want to be prayed over, don't want to be led. Paul places his hands on them. The Holy Spirit falls upon them. And then it says they go back into the church and Paul starts preaching and teaching and reasoning, which is what it says, right? Get saved, get baptized, and then learn forever. Paul goes into the church and starts teaching, preaching, and reasoning. In verse 8, went into the synagogue, spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Verse 9, but when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way. Don't ever talk evil about the way. <laughs> they spoke evil of the way before the multitude. Paul departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. He said, listen, if they don't want to hear it here, we're not going to bang our heads against the wall. We're going to go down the street and talk to some people who want to hear the truth. If they want to hear to just keep doing what you've been doing religiously in this temple, you guys go ahead and do that. We're going to go tell the truth about what Jesus says about the kingdom somewhere else. And he took the disciples with him, those 12 that were there. Verse 10, this continued for two years in Tyrannus, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Listen to this, verse 11. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Think about being consumed by God, understanding his love and his power. Paul is not just confessing the name of Jesus. He's being used to pour out the Spirit of God on people. Then it says that people will take a handkerchief that fell out of his pocket to somebody who's sick. They take it to them and the person would be healed. It's not because Paul becomes God. It's because he is a true carrier of the Spirit of God. Yes. And we come in and out of church yes. trying to be just a little bit better at life. And Jesus is jumping up and down saying, I didn't die for you to be better at life. I didn't die for you to have a few more dollars. Come on, amen. That's not what this church thing is about. You can go somewhere that can help you with that. Jesus said, I want you to be a carrier. I want you to be consumed by me. I want you to bow down before me and confess my name so that I can fill you with my spirit so that we can change the world. Amen. So check this out. 
the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Verse 13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. <laughs> also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did the same thing. And the evil spirits answered. Like, you know, this isn't like playtime, right? Like there's good and evil, angels and demons, right? Evil, spirits, the spirit of God. The Bible says that we don't battle against flesh and blood, right? Like there's a spiritual battle going on. These aren't just words. It says the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? <laughs> the man in whom the evil spirit was in leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on all of them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. What a story. Good thing it's a true story. There's something about the name of Jesus. So verse 13, the itinerant Jewish exorcist took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Then it says these seven sons of Sceva tried to do the same thing. But you have to know the name and bow the knee and confess Jesus for yourself. If you don't, there's no power. Right? They had the right name. And they wanted to do the right thing. These are Jewish priests. This is the church. They've got it right. This person is being possessed by a demon. This person is being uh, dragged through the mud. They're, this person, their life is falling apart. So they come and they say, in the name of Jesus, get out of them. In the name of Jesus, let this family be healed. In the name of Jesus, let this marriage be restored. In the name of Jesus, bring these children back to their parents. Amen. And the demon laughs. <laughs> Oh, you thought you could just say the name. You thought that it was going to happen just because you confessed the name? That's not how it works. He says, Jesus, I know. He's real. Read through the rest of the scriptures. The demons, when they see Jesus coming, they're like, hey, you're not supposed to be here yet. You said that we got to torture and torment these people until the last days. What are you doing here? Don't kill us. Put us into these pigs. And he puts them into pigs and they go jumping off the side of a cliff. The demons know him. They were in heaven with him before and they got cast out. There's no confusion for them. <laughs> so they say to these people who are just using the name of Jesus, hey, we know Jesus. You obviously don't. <laughs> this, I don't know about you guys. This is, it blows my mind every time I read it. The demons say, we know him, and we know his power, and you obviously don't. And then listen to what the demon said. Paul, we know him too. You know why we know Paul? Because he carries the spirit of Jesus. Mm. 
That's the only way. You either have to be Jesus or you have to carry his spirit. Otherwise, the demons are going to have victory over you. You are not going to win. You are going to be laughed at. They're going to watch you think you're winning, and then they're going to take everything. The demons are good at what they do. They don't just take it every time you get something. They let you build it up. Jesus we know, and Paul we know, but who are you? My God. There's no power. They only tremble at the name of Jesus, and they only tremble at carriers of the presence of Jesus. Verse 14 says, the seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest. A Jewish priest with seven sons, right? They tried to do the same thing. In verse 15, the evil spirit answered, said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? The man who was in them with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And then people, think about this. Don't just think about this priest and his seven sons and they tried to exercise somebody, they tried to heal somebody because we need to apply it to our own lives. When the world sees us continuing to get our butts whooped by the enemy, they think to themselves that God can't be real because look at their lives. What a ridiculous testimony it is of the real God who is alive and powerful. And when we won't really bow our knee, truly confess, understand his name, we get whooped, and then the world looks and says, <laughs> see, I ain't going to that church. I ain't going to read that book. Because these people say that they're doing that, and look at them. They're getting smacked around. The most important part of the story, if you ask me, is what happens afterward, though. Verse 17, it became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. How does that happen? Because there's a contrast now, right? You've got these priests who don't know God and do not have his spirit, and you've got Paul, who's pouring out, being used to pour out the spirit on people and actually healing people. And it says that the name of the Lord was magnified. You've got an option now. <laughs> you don't just have to go to this church and do these religious things with no power, you actually have an option now to be able to say, the name of the Lord, he is alive, and he is powerful, and he is capable. He does have ears that hear. He does have eyes that see. He does have hands that will reach, and he does have feet that will walk. I wonder how many people, when Paul says, you know what, we're out of here. These people don't want to hear who's coming with me, and he goes down to the next city. How many stayed for the religiousness, and how many said, I'm going with the power? Teach us how to really bow the knee, Paul. Then it says in verse 18, many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Think about it, guys. Now you have real believers who are saying, you know what? It's time to confess. I have made you Savior, but I haven't made you Lord. I have been speaking your name, but not understanding it. They're confessing. They see what happened with these priests. They see what happened with these demons. They see what happened with Paul, and they're like, man, I got to get right. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to hide and act like it's all good. I'm going to confess right now it's not all good. I still have these other gods, and I'm serving them. They are the names in my life that are above other names. Help me. Help me. And then the last one. Many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. So you're not going to believe me. But when I told you that I put all my stuff into the fire and burned it, 
I wasn't thinking about this. <laughs> the, you know, the Bible says that he will write his laws on your heart and put them in your mind. I remember the first time I read this and I was like, that happened to me. <laughs> that happened to me. If you, read, if you read your Bible, you know the thing that you should be saying the most? Yes. That happened to me. <laughs> Paul, thinking he's religious, and he gets knocked off of his high horse and he's made blind and he has to have somebody else come and help him. Some of us Christians should be saying, that happened to me. Thinking we understand it and Philip gets into the car with him and says, you don't really understand, let me help you. We should be saying, that happened to me. Like, that's the best part about this thing is that Jesus is saying, if you really know me, you're going to say, that happened to me. That happened to me. I thought I was doing my, my family thing right. And then the Lord came and, and told me some things. Man, that happened to me. I literally burned all that stuff. And then here's these people coming and they're saying, I see, I see this God. I see this Jesus and I see Paul. I got to get rid of this stuff. These books of magic ain't working. And they burned it. And then the last thing it says is finally... The word of the Lord in verse 20, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. If the word of the Lord grows mightily in you, you will prevail. When we have spirit-filled believers who understand the name, bow the knee before the name and confess it as one who is consumed, the word of the Lord will prevail. We will have victory. We will grow mightily. And God will be glorified. Amen? Amen. Amen. Worship team, go ahead and come on up here. Church, go ahead and stand. So every time I look around the church and I, and I realize that a few people are missing, I always, I used to be frustrated and, and upset sometimes. <laughs> But now when I look around, I always say, well, Lord, these are the ones that you wanted to hear what you had to say today in this place. And of those who are here and, and hearing what the Lord has to say, I pray that you're one that the seed falls on good soil this morning. I pray that you're one who will respond to the word of God. <clears throat> I pray that... Uh, that we come in expecting to be changed and we won't leave until we're changed when we come in and out of church, you know? For me, I, I don't make any mistakes. I understand what it says and I understand the name, so I know that it's not me and my words. I know that it's not our worship team. I know that it's not uh, the atmosphere. There's power in the name of Jesus. If you come looking for him, you'll find him. If you open the word expecting it, to be alive. That same young man I was talking to that said he didn't have a Bible yet, I said, I'm going to get one into your hands. Uh, I sent him the scripture that says, the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. If you open it believing that, you will be cut to the heart. <laughs> if you open it believing that, I talked to another man this week. I had a lot of meetings with men this week. <laughs> I talked to another man that said that they were reading over the course of the last week and they got this revelation of a scripture that they had read multiple times before and he was so excited to tell me I'm like yeah it's alive <laughs> 
When you read it next month or next year or 10 years from now, God's going to give you more revelation. Why? Because there's something about the name of, of Jesus. He says, I am the word. This is, this is the name of Jesus. He's in it. So what are we going to do about it? How are we going to respond this morning? The first thing that we have to do is we have to respond with repentance and asking this Jesus to save us. Going to church, wanting to be better, hoping that there's something after, all that's, you know, it's cool, it's good. But that's not what he says. What he says in his word is that you have to actually repent. You have to confess. You have to ask for forgiveness. The only way you can do that is if you believe he is who he says he is. If you believe he's Emmanuel, if you believe he's God with us, if you believe he came and died, and that he rose from the dead and he went back to heaven and he's waiting for you and preparing a place for you, well, then you can confess, right? I'm a sinner and I want you. I love you. I need you. Help me. Forgive me. Change me. All that good stuff. That's priority number one. If you haven't done, done that, we don't want you to leave out of these doors without doing it. If you feel compelled this morning, would you just raise your hand? so that we can celebrate, so that we can pray for you. You're not saved, but you want to be. You've never said, Jesus, I want you. Please forgive me. Would you raise your hand? Hallelujah. Anybody? Thank you, God. Amen. After that, for those who are saved here, maybe there's an opportunity at the altar and, and during communion to, uh, to do a couple of things. The first is to commit to making sure we understand what it means to have the name above every other name. Maybe in your life, there are some things that are, that are taking priority. There are some important things that shouldn't be the most important thing. And we want to give you an opportunity at the altar to be prayed with, to be prayed for, that God would just realign some of those things in your life. So the name above all names, if, if that's you, when we open the altars in a minute, just come and be prayed with, be prayed for that God would truly take that top spot and you would devote yourself to continuing to learn what that means. That you wouldn't just say, I go to church, and you wouldn't just say, I believe in Jesus, that you would begin to be able to talk about the Jesus who has eyes that see, ears that hear, hands that touch, feet that walk, and from your own personal experience. We want to take that step. For others, maybe it's about bowing the knee, really being... Um, Really being completely surrendered and submitted unto Jesus. Not loving him and being grateful, but making him actual Lord of your life. Where what he says go, no, no matter how hard that becomes. But I believe just like uh, we read in the scriptures, his power is available for that. He says he will help you to want that and he will help you to actually do it. But it's not just going to happen. You have to pursue it. So we're going to open the altar for you as well. And then the last group is the group of confession. So being able to speak as one who's been consumed. It's not just about the confession. It's about being consumed by our God, being consumed by Jesus. At that last story, it says that when they saw that power and they saw that Jesus, they saw the name, they saw how the Spirit was poured out by laying on of hands, it says that they began to confess. And that goes on today. He's a name above all names. We make him Lord of our lives. And we have a heart that is constantly in confession, not only of who he is, but of what we've done that is creating some type of divide.
So we're going to pray, we're going to open the altars, we're going to worship, and then we're going to receive communion as well. So if any of those or anything else uh, has ministered to you, I would ask that you would respond this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your name. I thank you that it's the name above every other name. I thank you that you have prepared us, Lord, that you have told us that the enemy does not shake in his boots, that he is not afraid of us, but he is afraid of you. He does bow down when your name is spoken by those who actually carry your presence, Lord. We've come into this place to seek after you, to find you, to be healed, to be touched, to be forgiven, Lord. You are available to us because you are the only God that's actually alive. You heard us on our way to church. You've heard us in the things that we've been struggling with over this week or this month or this year. And you love us, Lord. You desire to give unto us. You don't turn your eyes away from us, Lord. You're not ashamed of us here in this place, Lord. We've come because we want to make sure that your name is the name above every other name in our lives, Lord. We've come to this altar, Lord God, because we want to bow down before you. We don't care what the world sees. We don't care what our friend sees. We don't care what our family sees. All we care about is that you see us surrendered before you, Lord God, in every day, in every way, Lord God. And then we come to confess, Lord. We come to confess that you are Lord, that you are God. But we also come to confess what it is that we are doing and what it is that we've done, that you could burn it out of our lives, Lord, that you could consume it. Don't let it weigh us down anymore. Don't let it shackle us anymore, Lord. We lay it open before you. We will not turn and go back home. You told that man that he needed to give everything and follow you, and he turned around and he went home without doing it. Don't let us turn around and go home without doing that this morning, Lord. We come to you, giving you what you've asked of us. We surrender everything before you, Lord. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah, Lord. I was nowhere you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a Savior to save me, Jesus, you made a way. For listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.